Welcome to the Soul Grit Podcast. I'm Ann Taylor McNeese, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I also love Jesus, and I'm passionate about all things gospel and therapy. I created Soul Grit to be at the intersection of mental health and Christian faith. Christ followers need a place to ask questions and get answers about mental health. Join me as we dive into real stories and real questions from people who want to honor God with their hearts, souls, and minds. Hi, and welcome back to the Soul Grit Podcast. This is Anne, and I'm here today with Healy Eichard, who is a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Northwest Arkansas. Welcome, Healy. Hi, glad to be here. I'm, I invited he- Healy on the podcast today because uh, we connected a while back and found out that we actually operate really similarly in the way that we practice therapy and we integrate our faith into therapy. And, uh, she was gracious enough to send me a book recently that she wrote. It's more of a workbook, I guess. And it's called changing your feelings, a workbook and journal for anxiety and worry from a Christian perspective. And so this is a really helpful tool, um, that we're going to talk a little bit more about, and I'll point you in the show notes to where you can um, purchase that workbook. If, if anxiety is something that you're working on, um, but I'd like to get to know you a little bit in the presence of these other people that are listening, Healy. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, like you said, I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist. And I've been working in mental health for about 15 years or so and uh, started private practice in 2010. Um, before that, I was uh, I served in the Army and Army Reserve for about 13 years. And uh, when I got out of the Army, I <clears throat> worked as a nonprofit director, um, helping senior citizens um, stay in their home if they, you know, didn't have um, family or someone to help them. So um, there is where I learned a lot of self care and boundaries. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, and then it was there that I also uh, went into, decided to go back to school and um, go learn about counseling and how to help people really in depth. So um, right now, my husband and I live on a little farm in Northwest Arkansas, and um, we just moved out here about four years ago, and it's been a blast. We have some goats and chickens and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'm very happy to have you. Um, as I said, your workbook is about anxiety. So tell us a little bit about why that was the area you wanted to focus or what, what brought that around? Well, I guess just, I started working when I first started working with people, it was mainly children and I was worked for an organization that they sent me into schools and, um, and they were you know, getting professional counseling. So it wasn't like through the school, but they allowed us to have a place on site. And a lot of the kids had anxiety. So that's where I was really, I guess, introduced to like, I have to really learn some good skills here because the kids really need that. And, and that's mainly one of the main ones that they struggled with. And then when I went to private practice, again, a lot of the adults and stuff that 
uh, a lot of the adults and others that came to me, um, they were struggling with anxiety and worry as well. And I, as I worked with people more and more, I found, wow, well, these are some, you know, um, cognitive behavioral therapies. Uh, CBT is very helpful. I mean, it really helps people and the research really backs it up. So I was excited to put something together that could help people. Yeah. Yeah. Without going to counseling. Now, do you see Christian people primarily, or do you see all kinds of people? When I first started, it was everybody, but I still see everybody. But um, I find that the majority of my um, client base is Christians. So they actually look for me either through EAP or through insurance or whatever. That's primarily they are looking for a Christian counselor. And there are a lot of Christians that practice counseling in the area, but not as many that uh, promote themselves as a Christian counselor. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. actually that would be kind of an interesting point of discussion too. Like, what do you think is the difference between somebody who's a Christian and practices counseling and somebody who practices Christian counseling? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, it is very interesting because it was um, when I worked for the agency, you know, they're, they kind of encourage you not to really put your faith out there. But here uh, on my intake form, I have, you know, what their faith is and if they want it integrated in counseling, if they do, then, you know, yeah, you can talk about God the very first intake session and, and, you know, scripture. And uh, one of my first questions is how has faith played a part in helping you work through um, the issue or, has it played a part or, you know, whatever, just to see if like, cause oftentimes people don't realize some of their coping skills are actually, you know, prayer or um, going to church or hanging with Christian friends. And, and that faith is a big part of like how they've coped so far to make it through. So, yeah. Yeah. Or even the opposite way where, you know, I, I believe this thing, but it's really, um, it's felt difficult because I believe this thing, but I feel this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's often, that's one of the questions I had in the workbook is why hasn't God healed me? Cause that was often one of the questions um, that people ask. They don't understand why they've prayed and prayed and God hasn't taken away the anxiety or depression or whatever they're dealing with. So um, it gives an opportunity to talk about that too. Not that I can answer that, but I can give some, um, ideas <laughs> on why that might be. But um, yeah. And, and oftentimes it's almost like when the anxiety, depression or whatever they're dealing with pops in, sometimes they'll often drop off reading scripture, or having their quiet time or going to church and, and they're not necessarily correlating the two, but I would say they're mm-hmm. very related. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So just for an attempt to be educational here. Can you help our listeners understand like when, when it's anxiety and when it's something else? And so I think as clinicians, we have this understanding of like, what does clinical anxiety look like or an anxiety disorder? We know that, but sometimes anxiety shows up in your life just as a regular person. And you don't realize that that's what you're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Can you describe yeah. that a little bit? Well, uh, one thing that I try to help people too, is like, we don't want to get rid of anxiety completely. We want to 
get rid of it when it's excessive. Mm -hmm. So because anxiety in and of itself can be a really good thing. Um, Be nervous if we're, you know, walking across a wobbly bridge or something is a good thing. It'll cause us to hang on, you know, jumping in the deep end of the pool. If we don't know how to swim, that anxiety is a really good thing because it might keep us from jumping in um, that we want. It is the excessiveness of feeling um, nervous or worried, which is mostly what a lot of people um, have is just thinking about things that may or may not going to happen, thinking about things that have happened in the past and it's excessive and it's kind of um, interfering with normal functioning of life. So um, when it's interfering, I guess, with, with life is when we need to really look at it. And it's been going on for a long time. Again, if something big's coming up and um, I always try to look at what's the context of the situation, what's, what we consider the normal range of emotions. And then if it's outside of that, then that's something that we need to look at. So even if it's a, you know, decent emotion, um, we want to just make sure that it falls within the normal range or what we consider a normal range within the context of their situation. Yeah. Yeah. I find sometimes I'll hear, especially I'll hear clients describe the behavior of other people in their family. And there'll be something like, or somebody's like really overprotective or somebody's jealous or insecure or like sometimes behaviors that are just hard to work with within a family context. And I'll go, you know what? this is probably anxiety. Like they don't, they might not feel it the way that, that we think about anxiety, like, Oh, I'm worried all the time, or I have a stomach ache because I'm, you know, worried about this thing. But some of these other behaviors tend to be rooted in anxiety as well. Yeah, that's so true. I see it mostly in jealousy. You'll see it a lot there. They like, that's your, that's your own stuff. That's not, well, once you did, determine the context yeah. but you can often figure it's their own, it's their own stuff. Yeah. You're asking a million questions because you're anxious. And that's the only way you can find to calm yourself down is like asking questions. The thing is though, it, it doesn't really, <laughs> cause yeah. you're not really working on the root thing. Yeah. Or in kids too, sometimes you see like a behavioral problem or just something that's difficult to deal with. Like I can't get my Mm -hmm. kids out of the house in the morning or Mm -hmm. there's all this crying or (laughs) holding onto my leg, (laughs) Yeah, acting up behavior. And then that's Mm -hmm. actually kind of just their way of expressing the anxiety that they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what I saw a lot in, in school, like the behavior issues or um, even the you know, poor grades and stuff would, were typically related to some of that. Mm-hmm. So, Would you say that anxiety has risen? I'm not asking you for like, like officials. Cause I don't have the stats. Yeah. You don't have the stats, <laughs> but do you feel like you've been practicing for a while now? Um, do you feel like the, um, rates of anxiety have risen? I think since COVID, mm-hmm. it really has. And, and I haven't figured out, and I haven't even quite formulated a theory on that either. If like, if it was there all along and that just brought it out um, or, you know, maybe people were managing it better than they ran out of 
skills do you, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know that, but um, I think it has, I think if you, and maybe we didn't term it back in the seventies and eighties as anxiety, but uh, we probably all felt some of that, but maybe not diagnosable. I don't know. I think the world we live in is a crazy place. And I, and you can just looking around, you can see why people are feeling more anxious than they have ever before. And I keep, I feel like I keep telling people like trying to get, help them have grace for themselves that of course you're struggling now because look what's happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if it, if it were only COVID, okay, that's something, but when you Uh, like mix in like racial unrest and police violence and political um, polarization. And like, like before we started recording, we were talking about natural disasters and, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of things for us to try to process and for us to feel secure in the world. And like, there's a lot going against us here. Right. And, and for Christians, at least we have a foundation and a belief that we can lean on in that. And if we don't, it can lead to more of us looking anxious like the world. And we don't need to, to look like that. Mm-hmm. We need to look different. Um, so that's what I always, I always try to remind people too. like, yes, we are different. We do need to give grace for ourselves because the context is very difficult. It is very different than it was in the eighties. I mean, that they had their, or we had our own issues, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was there. I, I know. There. It's like, <laughs> although I was like young, so I, yeah. I probably wasn't aware of all this stuff, but um, you know, it, it's a very different world. So yes, it's not surprising that we do, but we do have to give ourselves a little bit of grace and given the context, it is normal, but we don't want it to go over. And, and as Christians, we definitely don't because we are, we are the witnesses of Jesus. So we need to be different. Do you think that Christians feel more pressure to not be anxious? Yes, Mm -hmm. definitely. So, yeah, they, um, and I think that's, you know, like, I don't know. I just hear, I see so many Christians and everybody's got their own reasons why they shouldn't or, or feel bad for it. But mm, I don't think we're that different. We're facing all the same things everybody else is. We just, we just have knowledge that maybe we're not applying or, you know, believing or something. And actual spiritual power too. Like mm-hmm. all the time when I'm working with people, like if I'm working with a non-Christian and I'm doing CBT or something like that, I'm I always feel like I have to I have to stretch a little bit more because you know they don't have that truth and they don't have that Holy Spirit power. And mm-hmm. whereas when I'm working with a Christian, I'm like, like, look, you don't you don't have to make up some new thought to come in here. You have it right here in Scripture. Like, right. And you have power that came with it. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and that's, um, I find myself being stretched too with, um, especially like when talking about self-esteem and value and all that it is, um, when you don't have a foundation to pull from, it does make it a lot more difficult because we have our worth established in Christ. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's pretty valuable. But um, yeah, and then a lot of resources in the word that, yeah, yeah, you can't, 
But then on the other hand, I hear Christians kind of feeling like guilty or ashamed that, oh, it says, do not worry about anything, or it says, cast all your cares on Christ, or it says, you know, then they'll pull out these Bible verses that actually make them feel ashamed that they haven't been able to stop worrying. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I just encourage them. It's, it's just, you know, we sometimes get in patterns where we worry a lot and there is a lot to, to worry about, I guess, but you know, when, um, I was thinking about that scripture, um, where Jesus, uh, calmed the, the wind and the storm. And he said, why do you doubt? Um, was it, or don't be afraid. I, I don't know the scripture off the top of my head, but something about not being afraid, but to have faith or why do you have so little faith? Okay. I may have to look it up, but anyway, <laughs> I was thinking about the difference in, in just that scripture in itself saying fear versus faith or belief or believe in me. Like most of those scriptures that you see will say, don't do it. Um, but do this instead. And it's normally fear or courageous fear or believe fear or faith. And, um, yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's what we need to focus on. He says it because we do it (laughs) and it's a natural inclination for us to do it. So it's not something that makes us bad. It's something that we do. And he's trying to remind us, you don't need to do that. Mm -hmm. Do this instead. Yeah. And thankfully we have a whole book of promises that we can rely on. I think that's a really good point that it's not just like, stop worrying. Okay. What, what you can't, you know, there is a vacuum. You have to stop worrying and do something instead. And Mm -hmm. so I don't think Jesus is expecting any of his followers to just perfectly exchange their worries for these happy thoughts or peaceful thoughts, but he's showing you what the practice is of turning that over. Like doing doing the, this instead. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which Paul talks about quite a lot in his letters of, you know, think on these things that we don't need to, when we're transforming our mind or um, fixing our thoughts on Christ or taking our thoughts captive. The other part of that is making them obedient to Christ or thinking on these things. Like that's what we are. um, That's what we have to do and need to do is when we have the negative thought, which pops into our mind automatically, we can't really control what pops in. We can only control is if we're going to go down that road or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And instead of going down the road of worry and 5,000 rabbit trails of all these things that could happen from that one worry, we instead go to scripture and think on that and think on the things that are helpful for us, that are truthful, that are encouraging. Mm -hmm. Why? Why think on stuff that's probably not going to happen? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But when, when you're in that place of anxiety, especially if it has like a biological component, it's really hard to stop that train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, and I, um, I think it takes a lot of practice and I encourage people if they, you know, um, can't get those first steps down that, you know, medication might be something that they look at um, in, in, Many don't want to use it forever and it's, you don't have to use it forever. Sometimes it's helpful because they've got some now you can use in situations that can help or um, so, um, but if they can do that in conjunction, take the medication in conjunction with learning how to actually change your feelings, change your thoughts, um, then 
um, that's going to be helpful for them long-term as a Christian and as a mentally healthy person. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sometimes Which hopefully those are one and the same, but <laughs> right. <laughs> sometimes you get to that point with like, if your anxiety or your depression has gone on for a period of time and you just really, you can't do those things that you need to do to get better. Your mind can't learn those new skills or new techniques. And so that's when medication can sometimes help uh, bring that biological level up so that you can get the most out of therapy. Mm -hmm. Therapy is really what you needed, but your body couldn't participate because it was already suffering from one of those disorders. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't mind, would you walk us through your workbook a little bit and share some of the highlights? Oh, I would love to. Um, Now, I don't know about highlights because I um, actually use so much of it in counseling myself. um, But some of the the parts that I start with in the book are actually goal setting. I think that's really important. I do it in the first session of like, what do you want to get out of counseling? And that's one thing when starting, I think any book, like what do I want to be different when it, when I'm done with this book? Like, Mm -hmm. do I want to actually be doing something different or am I just going to walk away with the knowledge? Um, And then from there, making sure like the physical parts of our um, health are good, like we're sleeping, right? I mean, I know you talk about this a lot, but, you know, sleep, making sure you're sleeping is well, that your nutrition is well, that your exercise or physical activity is good. Um, those are, are very important, just physical components. Um, sometimes when people are convinced it's not mental, <laughs> like, no, I really can't. I'm like, well, you know, if you really like go to the doctor and get physically checked out to make sure that you're okay, yeah. if you're, you know, not sure that that stomach pain is anxiety because maybe they're in the counseling office because someone sent them and you're not convinced except go to the doctor and get that. um, And that's something that we typically do is refer new clients to have you had a a checkup? Have you had a physical? Because I don't want to be working towards like changing your thoughts so that you don't have stomach aches anymore when really you have a, like a physical disorder. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. I think a lot of people don't actually have, um, a a lot of knowledge around things like how your thyroid might affect depression or anxiety or how your vitamin D levels or how, you know, like things that, that we can test for with blood tests or with physical examinations that can actually rule out some of the things so that we can make sure in the counseling room, we're working on what what's within our scope. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That, that can help a lot. So when they come back from the doctor saying nothing's wrong or nothing that they can find, then, um, then, you know, all right. Yeah. So, okay. So goal setting first and then making sure some of that physical foundation is laid. Mm -hmm. And I have a section. Yeah. And about the, I'm sorry about the brain in there. Um, just another as physical component, like, um, I don't know. There, there's a great book that I read many years ago when I first started was um, "Change Your Brain, Change Your Life." Yeah, Daniel um, mm-hmm. I think he's out. Is he out in California or is he in Arizona? Yeah, yeah. Newport. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I like him, and um, so I thought, wow, brain health is really important. And so I've got some sections in there just about well, what's going on as as far as you know, we know what's going on, and then. Um, 
you know, things to eat that can help your brain function better and those sort of things. And then I just get into coping skills and um, I don't dwell deep into a lot. Like I think I have a page of just a whole list of things, um, which is one of, I, I know one of your five, do you call them pillars is a social support, mm-hmm. um, making sure that you have um, people in your life. So I don't uh, go into that deeply, but it's in the list of things. And I find often when people are struggling from depression, that's often one thing that they are struggling with is making sure they have friends because they've either just let them fall by the wayside or they don't, if people invite them, they don't go do anything. Um, so it is a really important aspect. So, so coping skills, um, I talk about some panic attacks, like how to deal with those. Um, and actually I included a part in there of if you're, if like you're scared of something like, like you have a phobia of, um, escalators or the water or dogs or something of, of some charts and some things to do to kind of work through some of those, those fears too. That's really better done with the counselor, I think, but I think if you're highly motivated, which I think if you do the workbook, you'll need to be highly motivated because there's a lot in there, um, but you don't have to go through every section. Yeah. Um, but I'm trying to think there's a little bit on uh, self-identity because that's, and, and you probably see this too, like often when people have got a lot of anxious or negative thoughts or depressing thoughts, um, a lot of them are about themselves. Yeah. So there's, they're saying, oh, you did that dumb. They think you're weird, you know, just think, which is sometimes why they don't go out with friends is because they think everybody's judging them and Mm -hmm. thinking they're crazy or too quiet or said something dumb or whatever. So, yeah. Yeah. Part of the subtitle of your book is um, from a Christian perspective. So Mm -hmm. how do you weave uh, that perspective through this workbook? Well, the coping skills, like the deep breathing, the muscle relaxation would be the same. Um, you know, Christian or not, the other things like meditation and I'm trying to think of other coping skills I have in there, (laughs) grounding, things like that. Um, I just implement like, or write about having some scripture, you know, making it personal for you. So some things that you can meditate on, um, the thought replacement section, which is probably the biggest section in there. Um, that is all trying to help people see the scripture that backs it up of why thought and place replacement is important and then how to use that using scripture too so often especially identity you you can pull it out easily but sometimes if people are worried about I can't think of anything off the top of my head but if they're worrying about something typically there's a scripture that'll address it and they can just remind themselves God is with me I mean something as simple as that there's a, a ton of scriptures on that of how to remind themselves or God's going to, if that terrible thing were to happen, God's still going to take care of me. If I were to lose my job, God said, he's going to provide for me. And so it doesn't mean I'm, I'm going to crawl up in a cocoon and not come out. Like I'm going to believe that I'm going to look for a job and I'm going to believe that he's going to take care of me. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not going to let that interfere with that fear, interfere with my life. 
So, which is easier said than done, but Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really a daily practice and maybe a moment by moment of reminding yourself every time the worry comes up, like, wait, God says in his word, he's going to provide for me. Do I believe? Mm -hmm. And I have to, because (laughs) I have this personal relationship with Jesus that says, I believe. Well, Uh, and because you love him. So mm -hmm. you want to take him at his word. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Yes. Exactly. I I do want to encourage people to pick up this workbook if they are, as you said, highly motivated and they want to work through it on their own, or if they're already in a therapy situation and they would like to walk through some of these skills with a qualified counselor, also a great option. I know some of the people listening are actually therapists themselves. So that was, is another tool. I wanted to mention a um, conversation you and I had earlier that I, when you sent me this book, I flipped through it with one of my long-term clients and, um, she's really great at finding good resources. So I wanted her to see it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, um, as we were, uh, flipping through, I was seeing like a lot of the things that you talk about in here are things that this client has learned over years of therapy. And so a lot of it was very familiar to her but not everybody goes to years of therapy. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're looking for something that pulls together, like, like some of the really important foundational skills for overcoming anxiety or depression or whatever identity issues, spiritual issues, like the tools are kind of like across the board. We use these kinds of tools in therapy, but this is just like a nice uh, compilation. Like here it all is. You can hold it in your hands. You can work through it step-by-step whether that's with someone or on your own. So I just wanted to highlight that as a, a really nice tool just to have, well, like I'm, I'm in lots of Facebook groups for therapists and there's all the time people on there asking, does anybody have a resource for this? Or does anybody have a printout or a worksheet or, you know, and there are some sources online where you can like pay a fee and then download some worksheets for yourself. But this would be like having it all in a book that you can just go through from a Christian perspective. We don't, we don't have a lot of that. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm in those groups, I, I feel (laughs) it's really funny because I'm like, Oh, my book will be like so helpful for them. And I'm like, Oh, should I, should I, should I, it is funny when (laughs) I, I'm really hard at self-promoting. I mean, I'm trying to get better, but I'm not very great at it. Um, which is amazing that I could even do a private practice because I'm thinking, oh yeah, I got a website just shipped there. Um, but um, one of one time somebody said that and I thought, oh, my book's a perfect fit. But I was like, ah, I don't know if I should say anything. And I didn't. And I went into session and come back and somebody said, Healy's book is great. I was like, oh my gosh, thank you. That made me so happy. Um, but yeah, cause some, I think it is a good fit for like literally for anybody that's a Christian that does anxiety or worry. Um, I think it's a, it's a great, um, resource. And honestly, I could have added some more things in there. Um, one well, of the, therapists that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I've got the energy, but, um, somebody did ask if I do one on depression because a lot of the stuff is similar, but I've just termed everything anxiety, but like you could pull out this stuff on, um, I do mention depression in there because you could use a lot of the same things, but, um, but you could probably pull out a section 
like the um, um, changing your mind. I'm not sure what the name of that is. Um, renewing your mind. Um, that section, you could probably pull that out and just use it for depression, because I think it's a lot of the same, you know, analyzing the thoughts, creating some replacement statements um, that it is a little bit harder there, but I encourage people, if you practice sometimes, especially with anxiety, if you practice for, you know, a few weeks really well, and like, as soon as a thought pops into your mind, you're able to change it, replace it. Um, the brain starts doing that automatically after a bit. So it's so happy when clients come back and go like, I don't need you anymore. And I'm like, hallelujah. (laughs) God was working. Good job. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I try to explain the clients. Like it is a little bit laborious in the beginning when you're trying to go, well, what was that thought? What kind of feeling, what was going on mm -hmm. in my body? Like you're trying to write Mm -hmm. all of that out. And then this really tough part of trying to find a replacement thought that you could actually believe. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, that, that takes some time in the beginning mm-hmm. when you're learning, but the more you practice it, the more your brain wants to automate that. Mm-hmm. And so then yeah. you stop having to write it down every single time and your brain can very quickly just, you might have that automatic negative thought, but then very quickly you go, no, that's not where I want to go. And your brain that- does it. Mm-hmm. And that's so exciting too. I love that God made our brain to, yeah. to do that, um, that we can, you know, speak life to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, my criteria for analyzing healthy thought, because this is often the one that gets people caught up is they'll have a replacement thought, but it's not, it's like, it kind of falls in the category of positive, but it's not really good. It's not healthy enough, I don't think, um, because um, which I often give the analogy of like, if it's raining outside um, and your plans got canceled or something, you don't just want to say, oh, it's fine. I mean, that's positive, but it's not necessarily true and it doesn't really help you because it's a lie. So my criteria is a four question criteria that we look at, we, we take their negative thought, we ask these questions, and then we take a replacement thought and we ask these questions. And if it doesn't fit, then we kind of tried something, a new, new right. thought. Well, first it's got to, the replacement thoughts got to actually address the thought, the negative thought that they're having or the anxious or worry or depressed thought. But the criteria is, is it truthful? And we always start with that. If it's not truthful, um, sometimes worries where they're future focused is really hard to analyze, but you might could ask yourself, is it likely to be true? Um, and if it's not, we scrap it. Um, the, uh, is it encouraging? Is it helpful? And then is it positive or positively phrased? So um, normally if you hit a no, you can just stop. I normally go on with um uh, clients when we're analyzing their negative ones because they're like no no I'm like would you ever say that to a friend that thought <laughs> they're like oh no <laughs> oh then why do you say that to yourself like it's you know not helpful so um and so sometimes if they can't think of anything too I'll just say well just pretend that you're you are your friend and just say what you would say to a friend. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's amazing that give themselves a lot more grace Mm -hmm. and um, are a lot more kind 
I'm like, you, you would never tell a friend like, oh, you're dumb because you failed that test. It's like, no, you were like, well, maybe, you know, you were nervous and whatever. You'll do better next time. <laughs> Go get them. Like you say all sorts of good stuff to a friend yeah. or you wouldn't have any friends if you said the, you know, right. other stuff. <laughs> you're dumb. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, okay, I don't think we're friends anymore. <laughs> yeah. I find yeah. that clients really struggle with that, trying to come up with the new thoughts, the helpful, encouraging, positive thoughts, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so sometimes I'll actually write down like maybe three options and I'll say, mm-hmm. well, your brain wants to go automatically to this negative spot and you mm-hmm. don't see any alternatives mm-hmm. to that, but my brain's not, not in that place. So I can think of these three alternatives and you can run with any one of them. I'm happy for mm-hmm. you to take any of my choices mm-hmm. or something else that you've created. And so I'll go through maybe these three choices and they'll say that one doesn't feel like that doesn't hit the mark or no, mm-hmm. that's not what I, I could never believe that, but this one, yeah, I think I could maybe phrase it that way. And then it, sometimes we have to do multiple choice, right? Because yes, your brain just can't come up with the recall. <laughs> right. I agree. I think that's uh, three options are gr- great. I think it gives them some power too, and, and can choose what fits. So I think that's great. Yeah. I, I, I try really hard to help them come up with their own, but if they can't, yeah, I have to break down and yeah give them a choice or two. And sometimes they'll go, no, that's not good. And so then I'm like, oh, (laughs) sometimes I'll do it. Like I'm going to, I use a whiteboard in my office and I'll say, I'm going to write a whole bunch of words up here and you just tell me which ones to leave and which ones to erase. (laughs) <laughs> and so mm, to good. make it like, they're not going to offend me if I was off the mark or, right. you know, and right. like, but maybe I can think of something that they didn't realize they were thinking, you know? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It, that's, that's why going to a counselor is so helpful because they can think outside, you know, and, and sometimes um, friends and family can't always do that either for them. So when they're going to particular people for advice, it's not really all that helpful just because they've got different and nothing bad. They just have different motives. Like they want the person to not have pain or, you know, not be distressed. So they might, you know, encourage divorce when maybe that's not necessarily what's needed. Um, so or the other way, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Sometimes divorce is what's needed and yeah. a family won't go for it. So. Yeah. So sometimes, yeah, going to a counselor can get a non-objective third party um, thoughts. So, yeah. yeah. Great. Yeah. Anything else you can share with us about your book? I don't know. I think you'll like it. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully I've got some stuff in there about worry, specifically what worry looks like and, and how to kind of break those down into some categories that might be easier to manage. Um, I've got a little bit on just a page on guilt, uh, false guilt and true guilt, Mm -hmm. which I find is, I guess there's a, um, I'm not always up with the trends, but um, apparently there's a thing called mom guilt now. Um, I'm like, oh, that's been around forever. Just maybe didn't have a name. <laughs> we have a name for it now. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of that would fall under the category of false guilt. Um, you know, it's just um, feeling guilty about things that we don't need to. And, and so a lot of our thought lock can get caught up in that, that area too. So I've tried to um, 
at least include most of the stuff, not all, but most of the stuff that I've encountered with um, clients. And I, I try to make it where this is kind of like a, you know, 17, eight, I don't know how many sessions, you know, if I were meeting with one client and had like a variety of, of things. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, if somebody didn't want to go to therapy, even though we highly encourage it, um, they You're can on always the pick up the book. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Counseling is good. What I have found though is, is interesting because I was just thinking the pandemic has really brought a lot of good things. Um, even though it hasn't been a good thing, it has brought a lot of good things. And one of the good things I think is that more people are reaching out to counseling than they have before. I've even heard from people who said, I never thought uh, I would ever go to counseling and, and will come and and realize it's not so bad. It's not (laughs) quite what they imagine laying on the couch with Freud and his, you know, clipboard and pencil mm-hmm. analyzing dreams. That's not exactly what it's you about. You don't smoke a pipe and wear a tweed jacket? <laughs> <laughs> Only uh, for certain people. <laughs> Just kidding. That would be fun though. Oh, yeah, that would be yeah. really a great way to um, practical joke somebody. I mean, you couldn't do it to a client. But <laughs> well, I, th- there may be certain clients you could do that with. Like if you have a really good rapport and you've been with a long time, I have right. a client that actually leaves surprises in my office for me. And I'll go, oh, what? <laughs> I do have some clients I could probably, that I'm like, they probably know more of like me and my personality than everybody. I, my personality comes out in counseling, but um, some of you, yeah, are way more comfortable just because you've seen them a long time. And yeah, I could see that leaving surprises. I could wear a tweed jacket with a few <laughs> if I had one. With the elbow patches, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and a pot dangling. From I yeah. actually, f- I found this book. I think it was from Paper Source or one of those kinds of stores. Um, that was. It's called like the Big Book of Awards for Grownups, <laughs> and it has. It's all like cardstock pages that are perforated things you can punch out uh-huh. where mm-hmm. they're like merit badges and trophies and crowns and like really but everything is really dumb like the kinds of awards like like you didn't kill your office plants or you're the best coworker, or like some of those are like work related but um like the the world's okayest mom <laughs> like, they're just for all the different things that grown-ups do and then once in a while I'll have somebody who just needs to be a you know, like, like a little bit goofy, like we need that mood. And then I'll be like, I have an award for you and I'll punch it out and I'll put their name and date on it. And I'll say, make sure you put this in a place of prominence. (laughs) That's great. It's fun to kind of bring in a little bit of humor and humanity and, um, you know, just make, make light of something that's really heavy because a lot Mm -hmm. of the work we do is really heavy. And I would never Mm -hmm. do that to someone where I haven't also been in the heavy place with them, mm-hmm. but exactly. Yeah. Pretty fun. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I think that's, um, you know, I, it makes me think of just that we, you know, cause like not killing an office plant or not killing a house plant is very big accomplishment. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think we actually 
not that I'm advocating uh, participation medals, but I don't think we praise ourselves quite enough, like for the things that we do do. And that is a lot of, and you probably do this too in session, is a lot of recognizing the things that they are doing and giving them some, you know, pats on the back for that. Because some of those are, they're doing things that, oh, like, oh, I guess I'm doing better than I thought I was. Like, yeah, like, look, you use that skill and that skill and that skill, and they didn't even realize it. So, yeah, um, just getting yeah. some acknowledgement, especially if they don't have acknowledgement from other people in their life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. but I like the certificates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yesterday, I, I, like I said, I use a whiteboard and I had a little, um, a little bin of wet dry erase markers. And I was working with a client and I bent down to get a marker. And then I noticed there's a tiny toy sandwich in my, <laughs> in my <laughs> marker bin. And I went, oh, I think I know who put this here. <laughs> One of the little surprises. <laughs> yeah. Little surprises to throw me off throughout my day. <laughs> that is great. That is so great. <laughs> <laughs> I have to watch more carefully, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you'll have to leave a tiny sandwich under the pillow or something for her or him. (laughs) That's funny. Yeah. So, you know, cause you're a listener. Thank you so much for being a listener too. I like that we support each other. And I feel like maybe when I'm in those Facebook groups, I'll say, have you tried Healy's book? And when you're in the Facebook groups, you can say, have you listened to Anne's podcast? (laughs) And (laughs) we'll just (laughs) that sounds great. Oh, yes. You know that we're always going to end this um, interview by asking the question, what are you doing for soul care? Um, yeah, I do a lot of stuff. Like I said, I'd learned, um, some things when I was working at the nonprofit. Um, one of the biggest things was boundaries. And I, um, and I think that's a big part of my soul care is just being able to say no when I need to say no, because I'm typically very inclined to be busy all the time. I like it. I really kind of thrive on it. Um, but that's not always good for the soul. And so being able to say no, when I need to, um, turning down things that I need to, or just saying, okay, that can really wait till tomorrow. I need to sit and, you know, read or do, do something a little bit more relaxing. Um, another part of soul care that is really, of course, is, you know, reading scripture daily. Um, I think in counseling, like it is so imperative because it is weird, not weird or coincidental. We know it's not that it's the Holy (laughs) Spirit, but something that I'll read that morning will end up being a perfect application for that a session that day. Um, it's so great and helps keep me focused. And, um, you know, one of my prayers is always that, you know, I want to help God's kids. Like they're coming to session today, whether they know him or not. Um, you know, he's created them and I want to do the best job with them that I can. And I don't know that I'm all that, you know, intelligent or like all this stuff, but, um, I do have the Holy spirit inside of me. And as long as I'm reading the word and, and nurturing, um, that part, I can help people to some extent. Um, but the last part that I do for soul care are, I have lots of hobbies. Mm-hmm. So one of my, you know, I've mentioned that we have goats and chickens and, um, that is very therapeutic. Animals are very therapeutic. Um, 
but, and I love the outdoors. So being out in the country is like so wonderful. Um, so those are probably my mental, spiritual and, um, physical part of, um, providing for myself, making sure that's good taken care of. You can't be a counselor for very long without learning, or I think in any ministry where you're helping people, you have to know how to take care of yourself because otherwise you're, you can become ineffective very quickly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing that with us and for writing this workbook and putting it out into the world to help people and looking forward to working with you more in the future. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on. Very appreciative of that. The Soul Grit Podcast is a production of Soul Grit Resources. You can find more at soulgritresources.com or on the socials at Soul Grit Resources. You can email me at info at soulgritresources.com.